Good morning, and welcome to Newell Brand's fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After a brief discussion by management, we will open up the call for questions. In order to stay within the time schedule for the call, please limit yourself to one question during the Q&A session. Today's conference is being recorded. A live webcast of this call is available at ir.newabrands.com. I will now turn the call over to Sophia Sinis, VP of Investor Relations. Ms. Sinis, you may begin. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Neural Brand's year-end earnings call. On the call with me today are Chris Peterson, our President and CEO, and Mark Ersig, our CFO. Before we begin, I'd like to inform you that during the course of today's call, we will be making forward-looking statements which involve risks and uncertainties. Actual results and outcomes may differ materially, and we undertake no obligation to update forward-looking statements. I refer you to the cautionary language and risk factors available in our earnings release, our Form 10-K, Form 10-Q, and other SEC filings available on our Investor Relations website for further discussion of the factors affecting forward-looking statements. Please also recognize that today's remarks will refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures, including those who refer to as normalized measures. We believe these non-GAAP measures are useful to investors, although they should not be considered superior to the measures presented in accordance with GAAP. Explanations of these non-GAAP measures and available reconciliations between GAAP and non-GAAP measures can be found in today's earnings release and tables that were furnished to the SEC. Thank you, and now I'll turn the call over to Chris. Thank you, Sophia. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our year-end call. I want to start with a brief recap of the significant progress we have made during 2023 on the turnaround agenda. In June, we introduced and deployed a comprehensive new corporate strategy, which focuses on disproportionately investing in innovation, brand building, and go-to-market excellence in our top 25 brands and top 10 markets as part of a clear set of where to play and how to win choices. These choices were informed by a thorough and brutally honest company-wide capability assessment we conducted earlier in 2023, which unveiled gaps in Newell's front-end commercial capabilities. Following deployment of the new corporate strategy, we proceeded to fully cascade and integrate it into business, region, brand, and functional strategies to ensure clarity and consistency of direction across all areas of the company. Last month, we announced additional changes to our operating model designed to accelerate progress in key capability areas, such as innovation, brand building, and go-to-market excellence, while driving even further standardization and scale efficiencies across the supply chain and back office functions. As part of this evolution, we have now stood up a cross-functional brand management organization and for our top 25 brands established multifunctional brand teams spanning brand management, consumer and shopper insights, as well as finance, customer strategy and planning, and supply chain functions. This move allows holistic support for each brand, keeps consumers at the heart of all we do, and ensures appropriate financial and operational rigor is in place to drive on our ambitions. Building on the success of the One Newell approach with Newell's top four customers as part of the organizational realignment, we centralized domestic retail sales teams under our chief customer officer, further reinforcing our partnerships, simplifying interactions, and allowing for additional joint business plans. 
We also created a new business development team focused on driving distribution with new customers and expanding categories with existing customers. We expect these changes will enable our teams to better leverage Newell's portfolio of leading brands and critical selling capabilities to accelerate both category growth and Newell's market share while serving as best-in-class partners to our customers. Over an eight-month period, key members of the leadership team and I visited eight of Newell's top 10 countries across North America, Europe, and Latin America. These visits reinforced our view that international markets, which accounted for about 37% of Newell's sales in 2023, represent an attractive growth opportunity, particularly if we fully harness the scale benefits and embrace the one Newell go-to-market model. As a result, we are further simplifying and standardizing Newell's regional organizations, which will pivot their focus to commercial delivery with the goal of accelerating speed, agility, effectiveness, and ownership. We've made significant progress upgrading talent across the organization to close skill gaps and accelerate capability build-out. We have now filled the majority of critical leadership positions across the company. The two latest hires to the executive team include a new chief HR officer, as well as a new CEO of the outdoor and recreation business, who both bring a wealth of relevant experience and knowledge. We are excited to have them on board. We've made significant progress on each of the 18 breakthrough capability projects we chartered as part of the new corporate strategy. For example, we completely reinvented the consumer insights function under a new leader that we brought in last year. We believe this will unlock actionable insights as well as proprietary understanding of consumers and customers so that we can enable superior innovations with stronger claims. We have also overhauled Newell's innovation approach around a biannual review process and put in place a project tiering system that helps identify big bets. Our goal is to launch fewer, bigger, and longer-lasting innovations that are gross margin accretive. While the health of the funnel is not yet where I'd like it to be, we have made considerable progress, not just on cutting the tail, but also identifying tier one and two innovations for the coming years. I'll talk more about these as they come to market. To strengthen our market-leading brands with consistent brand building and compelling brand communications, we've put considerable effort into building brand management into a foundational capability for Newell. In addition to upgrading brand manager talent, we put exceptional performance standards in place with clear KPI-driven expectations for all brand managers. We also rolled out a pillars of competitive advantage framework so that we can evaluate our brands relative to competition on product performance, brand communications, packaging, omni-channel execution, and value. Finally, we implemented a new set of corporate values focused on better serving consumers increasing accountability, driving a sense of urgency, and returning the company to winning in the marketplace. We have been and will continue to move with speed and agility to action our strategy while developing and strengthening the capabilities required to win. Turning to financial results, full-year numbers were either in line with or ahead of our latest outlook across all key metrics. Sales came in ahead of our expectations driven by stronger-than-expected U.S. demand. Normalized gross margin improved sequentially each quarter and inflected positively in the back half, driven by record-setting productivity performance and the July pricing action to proactively address situations where unit economics were untenable. 
operating cash flow increased $1.2 billion versus 2022, ahead of our forecast as we took out about $700 million in inventory. We continue to drive out complexity, ending 2023 with approximately 21,000 SKUs, down about 25% year over year. We unlocked over $150 million of pre-tax savings through Project Phoenix, which helped mitigate inflationary pressure on overheads. And we reduced net debt by about $500 million, driven by strong cash flow. While we are pleased with the significant progress in 2023, we are not satisfied with a 12% core sales decline for the business, even as we estimate that close to 80% of it stemmed from category contraction and retailer inventory actions. We are laser focused on returning the company to sustainable and profitable growth and more broad-based share gains, and that is precisely why we have been moving at pace in implementing our strategy. Turning to 2024, we expect the macroeconomic backdrop to remain challenging as consumers remain under pressure and geopolitical uncertainty creates a dynamic operating environment. Our outlook assumes that Newell's categories continue to contract, albeit not as much as last year. We also believe retailers will continue to manage inventory tightly in durable and discretionary categories. Within this context, we plan to drive continued strong progress on the turnaround agenda and have established five major priorities for 2024. First, continue to operationalize our new strategy and operating model, unlocking the full potential of the organization and our portfolio of leading brands. This includes fortifying organization, talent, and cultural capabilities to better enable meaningful innovation, stronger brand building, and operational excellence. Second, improve top line and market share performance on a sequential basis as the capability work starts to yield tangible results in the marketplace. Third, drive strong gross margin and operating margin improvement, building on the progress made in the second half of 2023 by realizing benefits from a scaled and advantaged supply chain via productivity and other efficiency projects while also delivering the anticipated savings from Project Phoenix and organization realignment initiatives. Fourth, continue to delever the balance sheet and improve the cash conversion cycle by driving strong operating cash flow. Within this, we are planning to fully fund all the necessary high return capability improvement and restructuring projects to build a multi-year productivity improvement runway. And lastly, continue to reduce complexity through business process redesign with a focus on simplification and accountability, technology standardization and enablement, and continued skew count reduction across the organization. Amidst a challenging operating environment, during 2023, we drove record productivity across the supply chain, significantly improved cash flow by right-sizing inventory, further reduced Newell's skew count, and took decisive actions to strengthen the company's front-end commercial capabilities. On behalf of the entire leadership team, I would like to express our gratitude to all of our employees who have embraced the new strategy and have shown tremendous resilience, commitment, and grit despite a bold change agenda. The tangible progress on our strategy and turnaround agenda more broadly bolster our confidence that we are taking appropriate actions to strengthen the organization, improve its financial performance, and create value for our stakeholders. I'll now turn the call over to Mark. 
Thanks, Chris. Good morning, everyone. While core and net sales were better than expected at down 9%, we believe the most important financial story of the fourth quarter is the dramatic improvement achieved in the underlying structural economics of the business, as evidenced by a 570 basis point improvement in normalized gross margin versus year ago. Simply put, the targeted interventions we have made to improve the underlying structural economics of the business, such as the July 2023 high single to low double-digit pricing action on roughly 30% of our U.S. business, primarily in the home and commercial segment, as well as the reduction in the manufacturing labor force across selected sites, are clearly showing up in the financials. The company's fourth quarter normalized gross margin of 32.3% represented a 100 basis point improvement sequentially and the second consecutive quarter of year-over-year expansion despite sustained pressures on volumes. Remember, as Chris mentioned earlier, approximately 80% of our reduction in core sales this year was due to retailer inventory actions and category contraction. The resulting lower volumes, when combined with nearly $700 million of inventory reduction, which we unilaterally removed from the system throughout the course of the year, had a significant impact on capacity utilization and makes the over 500 basis points of productivity delivered in the fourth quarter by our exceptionally talented supply chain organization even more impressive. On the SG&A front, meaningful savings were also realized with Project Phoenix providing $53 million of benefit in the fourth quarter, which helped partially offset higher incentive compensation and the deleveraging impact on SG&A from a weaker top line. Fourth quarter normalized operating margin increased 280 basis points to 7.7%. Encouragingly, this is the first time normalized operating margin has expanded since the second quarter of 2022, which we believe is another proof point that the right strategy is now in place. During the fourth quarter, net interest expense increased $6 million versus last year to $70 million due to higher interest rates and discrete tax benefits yielded a normalized tax benefit of $10 million, all of which brought normalized diluted earnings per share in at $0.22. Importantly, this was considerably better than the $0.15 to $0.20 outlook we previously provided. Turning to operating cash flow, $251 million was generated in the fourth quarter, bringing full-year operating cash flow to $930 million, an increase of $1.2 billion versus 2022. You will recall that at the start of 2023, improving cash flow was our number one financial priority. So we are very pleased that the team over-delivered on this critical metric, despite greater than originally anticipated macro headwinds. Strong cash flow allowed us to reduce gross debt by about $500 million during the year, with over $200 million of that reduction occurring between the third and the fourth quarter, which helped lower our leverage ratio from 6.1 times at the end of Q3 to 5.6 times at the end of Q4. Turning to 2024, expectations have not changed since our last earnings call. We said fiscal 2024 core sales were expected to be down year over year and below our evergreen target of up low single digits, with operating margin expansion ahead of the evergreen target of 50 basis points. Consistent with this, we expect the following for 2024. Core sales and net sales are expected to decline 3 to 6% and 5 to 8% respectively for two primary reasons. First, we expect our categories on average to contract low single digits in 2024. While we wish this wasn't the case, we nonetheless view this as a source of optimism since this is considerably better than the high single digit contraction experienced in 2023. 
Second, we expect distribution losses and product line exits to exceed distribution gains by about two points due to our business decision to exit some structurally unprofitable businesses. Finally, please note that the two-point difference in expected core versus net sales is driven primarily by unfavorable foreign exchange and to a lesser extent category exits. We expect normalized operating margin between 7.8 and 8.2%, which at the midpoint represents a 100 basis point improvement, which is two times our evergreen target, which calls for a 50 basis point improvement each year. The increase in normalized operating margin should be driven by strong gross margin improvement as another year of world-class productivity gains and the annualization of the July 1st, 2023 pricing action more than offsets an expected low single-digit headwind from inflation. Having just touched on pricing, it bears mentioning that given the degradation in the company's gross margin level in prior years, we are fully committed to restoring Newell's gross margins to provide the necessary fuel for reinvestment behind the business going forward. However, our guidance does not reflect any significant incremental positive pricing actions during 2024. Within SG&A, we expect overhead costs will be down meaningfully in absolute dollar terms, but should stay close to flat as a percentage of sales. The combined savings from Project Phoenix and our more recent organizational realignment should more than offset professional wage and benefit inflation and a series of incremental investments being made to enhance several critical core capabilities required to support our new corporate, segment, regional, brand, and functional strategies. Despite robust cost control, the anticipated contraction in top-line sales we expect to incur in 2024 will keep overhead costs as a percentage of sales elevated in the short term. Outside of overhead expense, advertising and promotion represents the balance of SG&A. We are planning to spend more in both absolute dollar terms and as a percentage of sales as we are beginning to see improvement in our innovation funnel and brand building activity and therefore have more investable opportunities at our disposal. For 2024, we are assuming that interest expense steps up by 15 to $20 million and that our tax rate is in the mid-teens. Importantly, this compares to a tax benefit of $68 million in 2023. All in, we expect normalized diluted earnings per share in the range of 52 to 62 cents. Now, we'll be the first to admit that at first glance, this does not compare favorably to the 79 cents per share just recorded. However, once a 26 cent year-over-year tax differential is accounted for, the midpoint of this range represents high single-digit growth versus last year, which we believe represents good progress in our corporate turnaround. For the year, we expect to generate operating cash flow of 400 to $500 million. This range assumes another meaningful improvement in our cash conversion cycle, just not at the record level achieved during 2023, when nearly $700 million of excess inventory was removed and Newell's cash conversion cycle dropped by 24 days. Our operating cash flow range also includes about $150 to $200 million in cash restructuring and related charges. Frankly, we briefly considered slowing down some restructuring efforts, but the rates of return associated with Project Phoenix, the network optimization project, the organizational realignment, and other initiatives are all so compelling, the decision was taken to aggressively but thoughtfully move forward with a multi-front transformation of Newell Brands. During fiscal 2024, we plan to invest about $300 million in capital expenditures, most of which will be spent on high-return, cost-saving projects to further improve the structural economics of the business and accelerate the turnaround. While fully funding numerous high-return internal projects, we also plan to reduce our leverage ratio and strengthen our balance sheet. 
with an expected return to a more typical seasonal cash flow pattern characterized by a use of cash in the first half of the year, followed by meaningful cash generation in the second half, Newell's leverage ratio will likely increase as we move towards the midpoint of the year before dropping to about five times by the end of Q4. Long term, we remain committed to achieving investment grade status and continue to target a leverage ratio of about 2.5 times. But in the meantime, we wanted to create additional financial flexibility. So we proactively amended the terms of Newell's revolver, even though we were fully compliant with all covenants at the end of the fourth quarter. As a result of the amendment, which was finalized earlier this week, the revolving facility was converted to a $1 billion secured facility, which we believe provides us with ample liquidity going forward. Free cash flow productivity is expected to significantly exceed our 90% evergreen target during 2024. As it relates to the first quarter of 2024, we expect a core sales decline of 6 to 8%, with net sales down 8 to 10% versus last year. Please note that the two to three point difference between our full year and first quarter core sales assumptions can be largely attributed to a greater impact from net distribution losses due to our decision to exit some structurally unattractive businesses, as well as weaker market share performance at the start of the year as the benefits from the capability build-out should improve sequentially going forward. As with the full year, the two-point difference in expected core versus net sales is driven primarily by unfavorable foreign exchange and to a lesser extent, category exits. For the first quarter of 2024, we expect normalized operating margin of 2.4 to 3.2%, which at the midpoint would represent a 40 basis point improvement versus 2023. We expect gross margin to continue to expand versus last year, although not nearly as much as in the fourth quarter, largely due to FX impacts and less favorable capitalized variance adjustments. Total SG&A dollars should be down versus year ago, despite spending more on A&P, but because of the anticipated sales decline, SG&A as a percentage of sales should be up by less than the amount gross margin should expand. After incorporating slightly higher interest expense and a modest tax help, we were looking for a normalized diluted loss per share in the range of five to nine cents. That said, Q1 is typically Newell's smallest quarter of the year due to seasonality, and as a result, it is not indicative of full year margin trends. In closing, we believe a great deal was accomplished during 2023, which has laid the groundwork for a much stronger 2024 as part of our multi-year journey to equip the organization and the business with the right set of core capabilities, inclusive of sound business processes and cultural attributes required to fully operationalize Newell's new corporate strategy, and in doing so, dramatically strengthen the company's financial performance going forward. Operator, if you could, please open the call for questions. To ask a question, please press star 1-1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. To withdraw your question, please press star 1-1 again. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. One moment for our first question. Your first question comes from Filippo Filorni of City. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, so, guys, clearly, like, there's been a lot of external challenges in uh, in your business. I guess on the top line front, can you give us a sense of what confidence you have or what visibility you have in the top line trajectory uh, here, particularly as you start cycling some of the inventory reduction last year? Thank you. 
Yeah, thanks, Filippo. Um, let me take that. I think as, as Mark alluded to in the prepared remarks, uh, we are expecting a sequential improvement in top-line performance in 24 versus 23. And if you look at the, uh, the sales guidance, there's really three things that are in the sales guidance. We're expecting uh, the market growth rate uh, to be down low single digits, which is an improvement versus 2023, where the market growth was down high single digits. Uh, we're expecting about two points of headwind from proactive decisions we've made to exit unprofitable businesses, which we believe is a good business decision. And then we've got about two points of headwind from FX and category exits, the majority of which is FX related. I think if you go underneath that, um, uh, that view, uh, I would say that there's some very positive green shoots that we're expecting next year. So if you look at 2023, we grew market share on about eight of our top 25 brands. We're expecting that number to increase as we go into 2024 into the low teens, uh, the, driven by the capability improvements that we've put in place. If I just take innovation as an example, now that we've established a tiering system of Tier 1, Tier 2 initiatives, which are the largest uh, initiative uh, categories, in 2023, we had zero Tier 1 and 2 initiatives that were launched in the marketplace. In 2024, we have eight. Uh, the first one we started shipping uh, a few weeks ago is Sharpie Creative Markers, uh, which we're very excited about. It's a new category entry for us of uh, acrylic markers that really pop on light and dark surfaces. Uh, you can go to sharpie.com and see more about it, uh, but this is the first of what will be a series of innovations that, uh, that are starting to come to the market. Eight tier one and two in 2024 is much better than zero last year, and we are still working on populating the pipeline, uh, uh, and I expect uh, the, the pipeline to get even stronger as we head into 25. We also uh, started to make real progress on the new business development capability uh, that we put in the market focused on top-line growth. Uh, last year in 23, part of the reason for the over-delivery on the core sales line in Q4 is the new business development team actually secured incremental distribution with new customers uh, already uh, that that helped the over delivery, and we've got a very strong pipeline as we head into to 24 uh, on that front. We also, uh, as part of the operating model redesign, have simplified the interaction with the international teams, and we believe that as we head into next year, our international business is poised for a significant acceleration in top line growth. Um, uh, uh, based on the process simplification uh, and the structure change that we've made. So we are uh, very excited and optimistic about the capability uh, work that we've been um, uh, progressing on. I think I mentioned previously we had 18 breakthrough capability initiatives that we kicked off as part of the, um, uh, the new strategy that was launched in, in June of last year. Those capability uh, improvement actions are starting to bear fruit, and uh, and we believe are going to start to show up increasingly in the in the top line results going forward. That's super helpful. I'll pass it on. Thank you.
next question. Your next question comes from Peter Gom of UBS. Thanks, operator. Good morning, everyone. Um, maybe two quick ones from me, just first on the, the credit or the amendments to the credit agreement. Um, is, can you maybe provide some background on, on the changes in the covenant? Is there anything to read and why the metrics themselves are changing? I, I know you mentioned they weren't at risk in Q4, but could they have been an issue as, as you were looking ahead, just given you know the commentary on kind of the cadence of cash flow? And then I guess just second, turning to the business, you know, obviously some good progress exiting the year on the gross margin line, but but can you maybe frame how we should think about the opportunity from here? I think you mentioned less robust improvement versus 4Q, but just you know longer term, is that kind of high 30% target still achievable? And if so, you know, can, we, can you maybe provide some guardrails around when we can you know achieve that? Thanks. I'll just say a few words about the uh, about the new uh, facility that we put in place, but I think it's important to take a step back and understand that it's all predicated upon the work that we've been doing with respect to cash, generally speaking, right? This past year, we increased our cash flow by $1.2 billion year over year. We paid down $500 million worth of debt. Uh, we feel very good about the way we've been managing the company's balance sheet. Um, as we were looking to, uh, you know, see what we needed in the way of financial flexibility for fiscal 24, uh, we looked at our current facility and decided that we'd be better served by um, having a secured facility in place that, yes, did bring with it some additional uh, covenants to replace the existing ones that were out there. Um, if you want to get more specific on that, we can let Sophia follow up with you, you know, individually on that. But I think the bigger message here is that, uh, you know, cash flow was strong, exceedingly strong, and, and the year just ended. Uh, we have really great plans in place to continue to extract and drive out, you know, our cash conversion cycle uh, so that our working capital continues to improve year over year. And by the end of the year, we'll have uh, reduced our leverage ratio even further than where it currently sits. On the gross margin side, uh, what I would say is we still believe that the right long-term target for the company is, is sort of the high 30s gross margin. I think we had talked previously about a number of 37 or 38 percent. We ended 2023 with gross margin flat versus uh, uh, 2022 at about 30 percent. Um, if you look at the guidance for next year of 100 basis points of improvement in op margin, we're expecting gross margin to be up more than that. And the reason is because we've proactively chosen to exit structurally unattractive parts of the business, number one. Number two, we continue to drive record productivity savings across the initiative, uh, across the portfolio. And number three, um, we are innovating um, uh, uh, in, in terms of gross margin accretive uh, innovation. So, for example, if you look at the eight tier one and two initiatives that we have uh, planned to launch this year, every one of the eight initiatives is a significant improvement to gross margin uh, versus the business that it's in. And so we expect to start driving mixed benefit as the innovation portfolio ramps up as well. And we think those three things, when you put them together, uh, will drive gross margin uh, higher than the 100 basis points that we're guiding on operating margin. We are choosing to take uh, advertising uh, uh, and marketing expense higher as a percent of sales in 24 because we have an, inv uh, uh, an innovation pipeline to actually spend money behind uh, and get a good return on. So uh, as we've talked uh, previously, as the capability investments and the capability work ramps up, you're going to see us uh, try to drive gross margin faster than operating margin and invest some of the money back 
both in, in dollar terms and as a percent of sales in increasing our A&P ratio. And that, uh, that is part of the plan for 24. Thank you. One moment for Thank your you. next question. Your next question comes from Olivia Tong of Raymond James. Great, thanks. Um, my first question is just around, um, if you could just sort of talk a little bit more about the different initiatives you, you discussed earlier to drive better sales, mix in particular, some higher advertising behind the new innovation. Um, could you talk about when these things hit the P&L to give us a view on, on sort of the, the quarterly cadence of the organic sales um, improvement as the year progresses, going from that down eight to six to finishing the year down six to three, um, because it, you know obviously there are a lot of initiatives, but um, but but timing would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so what I would say is that the eight breakthrough initiatives or, or tier one, tier two initiatives that we're launching this year will build during the year. The other thing that's important to note about these eight tier one and two initiatives is they're not just a one and done thing. These are multi-year platforms that will begin to build and drive growth, not just this year, but uh, uh, for the next several years. If you look at what we're guiding uh, to in Q1, we're guiding to a six to 8% uh, core sales decline, um, and we're expecting the year to be three to six. So I do think you're going to see Q1 be the weakest quarter during the year, and the balance of the year we expect better core sales performance. I mentioned that one of the uh, top uh, or the tier one two innovations, the Sharpie Creative Markers, we started shipping a few weeks ago. Uh, that will show up in stores in March. Uh, we'll turn on advertising, uh, and we've got a full uh, marketing campaign behind it that will start in March as well. Um, the balance of the innovation is really sequenced uh, more in Q2, Q3, and so you'll see those start to uh, build as we go through the year. Likewise, the new business development, where we've had some significant wins, uh, will build as we go uh, throughout the year. And I think, um, so we're, we're pretty excited about uh, the, the rate of improvement um, uh, that we're driving on the capability um, improvements on the innovation funnel. And I think you'll begin to see that show up in the, in the top line uh, as we move through the year. The other thing I'd like to add, if I could, because I don't think we talk about our international business enough, is the fact that our international business um, has been performing better than the U.S. market over the past year. And we actually are really excited because as we look at our 24 planning process, international business uh, is expected to actually be up um, year over year. Um, so we uh, have at this point about 40% of our business outside the U.S., and there's a really good story there to tell. Great. Thanks. Best of luck. Thank you. Your next question comes from Bill Chappell of Truist Securities. Thanks. Good morning. Morning, Bill. You know, Chris, help us understand how 
these businesses get back to growth and, and I guess allay the fears of that you've done so much cutting or you're doing so much cutting and, and exiting and stuff like that, that, you know, it's years before we can, can really see uh, total company growth. And I guess first question is, is what's your outlook for the actual categories uh, to do this year? I mean, with, are you expecting the, the key, you know, be it outdoor, be it writing, be it baby, be it um, uh, kitchen, you know, to be down as a category this year, or is it more just your exits? And then the second question is, you know, do you see on the horizon kind of total tump company growth, um, uh, you know, or is, is there any concern that you, you're going too far? Yeah, thanks, Bill. Um, I think the thing, if, if you if you sort of parse out what we're saying on the guidance, um, you know, we're planning the category growth rate uh, or the market growth rate to be down low single digits. Uh, we've made proactive choices to exit about two points of business, and that effectively are the two drivers of the core sales growth uh, guidance. If you back up from that, what that means is that from a market share standpoint, excluding uh, or, or excluding the, the, the choiceful exits, we're effectively guiding that our market share is going to be flat this year, um, as uh, excluding the, the choiceful exits that we're making. And that's because the, um, uh, the capability improvement actions are coming online, and we expect that to uh, begin to show up in, in tangible financial results. So, you know, we, we, we don't like to give guidance beyond, beyond a year, but if you, if you look at that trajectory that we're on, uh, if you go into 25, uh, the, the choiceful exits that we're making should be behind us by the time we get into 25, and so that is unlikely to be a headwind for 25. At the same time, uh, it's hard to predict what's happening in, in, the, in the categories, but I think a lot of the uh, outside experts would suggest that uh, the category growth rate may uh, uh, turn more positive in 25, and we expect our capabilities to be even stronger heading into 25 versus where they are today. And so I mentioned that uh, in 23, we grew market share on eight of our top 25 brands. We think we've got line of sight to do that on about half of our market uh, of our of our top 25 brands in 24. And I expect we're going to grow market share on more than half of our uh, uh, of our of our top brands in 25, and so we see a path for significant financial improvement. We see a path back to sustainable and profitable growth. Um, we said when we uh, unveiled the new strategy that this was going to be a multi-year journey because of the capabilities that needed to be built on the front end. Um, but I can tell you inside the company that. The capabilities we're building on innovation, on brand building, on new business development, on go-to-market, on international, the changes that we're making in the operating model, the talent upgrade, the clarity of the strategy, all of those things are in place and starting to, and starting to contribute. Um, and we think we're on that trajectory. Um, you know, the thing that, that is a little bit more uncertain is what happens to the rate of market growth. Um, you know, we've tried to be prudent in our forecast uh, and our guidance by saying it's going to be down low single digits is our assumption for this year. I will say 
you know, it's, it's, it's early days, but uh, uh, just looking at the January results, we're running a little bit ahead of our plan in the month of January, but we're not going to get ahead of ourselves based on one month, and January is a light month. Got it. Well, and, and I guess just to follow up, I mean, how do you, or, you know, uh, take something like baby that was down double digits probably as a category last year, and you're kind of probably forecasting in mid-single digits this year. I mean, I don't think the birth rate has changed that much. I don't think your market share has changed that much. I mean, how do you look at these, your core categories? Should they be normalizing and getting back to kind of pre-pandemic, you know, trends uh, in 24? Or is it just we're taking as we see it and, you know, and, and until that happens, we're just going to assume it it's, looks more like 2023? Yeah, I think they're going to normalize a little bit in 24, but but our 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 view from an overall macro standpoint is that uh, the consumer remains under pressure because of inflation, and you have to although in the headlines you see a lot of commentary about consumer spending holding up very well, which is true. Uh, a lot of that consumer spending is being directed to either services spending or essentials. Uh, which is food and and essential categories, and most of the um, forward-looking uh, you know people that we get data from would suggest that durable and discretionary categories, although uh, they are the, the the market growth rate is projected to improve versus 23, it's still likely to remain under pressure in 24. I will say that. If, if you talk to those same external people, which we do a lot, most of them are predicting that, that that's going to change when we get into 25 uh, and, and even more so into 26, um, although it's hard to predict that far out. Um, and so we're trying to be, uh, to be prudent. We're trying to take the things that are in our control. You mentioned the baby category, which was particularly negatively impacted in 23 because of the uh, 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 Bed Bath & Beyond and Bye Bye Baby bankruptcy. One of the things that we're doing with our new business development team is we are expanding and opening up new retail customers into that baby channel uh, with Graco as, uh, as, the lead, um, as the lead brand. And so we're pretty excited about what you're going to see going forward. We can't say too much about it right now, um, but there are things that we are doing to try to get the category back to growth that I think are going to um, uh, help market growth and help Newell's market share at the same time. Uh, we also have an opportunity in that business to expand a little bit more internationally uh, because we're very U.S. centric um, and uh, there's a lot of babies uh, outside the U.S., a lot more outside the U.S. than there are inside the U.S. And so uh, we have a couple of exciting uh, uh uh, country launches planned in that business uh, already for for 24. Got it. Thanks so much for the color. Thanks. Your next question comes from Lauren Lieberman of Barclays. Great. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, I was just curious to talk a little bit about um, general merchandise trends in the U.S. We've had 
you know, retailers call out some deflationary trends in the category, which of course is a very broad category, so I know it's difficult to generalize. Um, so just curious kind of what you're seeing and how you're thinking about pricing dynamics, um, you know, whether it's a step up in promotional activity that may be encouraged by retailers to kind of drive a little bit more activity um, this year in the U.S. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Um, so we are in, we are having active discussions with retailers on this topic. Uh, as we said uh, in our prepared remarks today, uh, our input costs we are expecting uh, to go up in 24, not down. So we are not seeing broadly deflation in, in, in terms of our input costs. That being said, what we have baked into our guidance is a low single-digit inflation rate um, that's really driven by uh, three things, which is labor cost, uh, a little bit of transportation inflation, and a little bit of resin inflation. Um, uh, it's a more normalized inflationary input cost inflationary period. And so as we've had discussions with retailers on this topic, um, uh, I think they understand that our businesses are not ones that we're seeing uh, deflation, and so we're not planning uh, uh, any significant um, you know, price uh, reductions or rollbacks as we go forward, and, we, and we're not seeing that really in the competitive environment of what we compete in either. Um, I think there are other parts of general merchandise where, where that may be the case, um, but not in the categories in which we compete. Okay, great. And then um, I know you said, you, know, you mentioned there's just uh, new leadership for outdoor, but so it might be like wait and see might be the answer, I guess, but just curious kind of what's been going on. The sales have been very weak, you know, the, um, just curious kind of anything you can articulate about steps being taken to turn the business around and a line of sight there. Uh, but again, I understand if it's a wait and see because we just announced management change too. Yeah. So, so the outdoor and rec business is, is our, um, is the business that's the most in need of a turnaround uh, of any of our segments. So, when we did the capability assessment, um, it became very clear that uh, because each of our businesses in the past were not managed consistently uh, and we're putting in those consistent processes now, they all started from different starting points. Um, and so if you look at the, where the businesses are on the journey, oh, Outdoor and Rec has the, the furthest to go with regard to improving its ability to innovate, brand build, uh, brand communicate and, and drive retail excellence. The additional thing I would say on that business is that that was the business that had more of their business, uh, particularly in the U.S., in opening price point categories that were structurally challenged. And so we have taken significant action in outdoor and rec. I'm very excited about the category in the in the long term because I I believe that it is a category that we can drive significant growth, it's responsive to innovation, and all of the capabilities we are building should be applicable in that business. In order to, to drive that, we haven't just brought in a new leader of outdoor and recreation, but we've effectively brought in a, a completely new marketing team, a new sales leader, um, a new CFO, uh, and we've announced we're moving the business from Chicago uh, to Atlanta. Uh, and so. Uh, we are making a, a significant intervention uh, to upgrade that business. I do think uh, if you look within the segments, and obviously we don't provide guidance at, at the segment level, I would expect the outdoor and rec turnaround 
from core sales decline to core sales growth to take longer than uh, what you're going to see in learning and development or in uh, home and commercial. And so, uh, uh, but I do expect already some improvement in 24 relative to the, the growth rate versus 23 uh, in outdoor and rec, but, but it will likely be a laggard relative to the other two segments um, because of the amount of capability improvement work uh, that we have going on in that segment. Okay, great. Thanks so much. And our next question comes from Andrea Texera of J.P. Morgan. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I was hoping if you can comment uh, in terms of how conservative you've been. I understand as you set up this guide, right, and and how understandably what has happened every quarter last year, you had to reduce guidance. Um, but also thinking about the category, you just spoke about some of the outdoor, but maybe what are your expectations of the core categories going forward, be it, um, you know, obviously writing and, uh, and appliances, some of that, and also some of the um, commercial segments where there's some resilience there, I understand. Anything that you can share uh, as far as, um, as you look through more of the top line and now that kind of the cost section of it seems to be more um, under control. Uh, in particular, as you were saying, we're benchmarking uh, market share performance and new leadership in terms of getting this category sorted out and market share. If you can kind of give us the state of the union for these other key categories, that would be wonderful. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks, uh, Andrea. Um, I think we're trying to be prudent in the guidance um, is the way I would describe it. Um, you know, it, it is a volatile time period. It's hard to predict exactly what's going to happen in the macroeconomic uh, environment, and we certainly don't have a, a crystal ball that is that is unique or better than anybody else. Um, you know, I think probably the biggest uh, assumption that we're making is that the markets are going to be down low single digits, uh, uh, which is an improvement in, in 24 versus uh, what we saw in 23, where it was high single digits. Um, uh, as I said, so far uh, in the month of January, we're running slightly ahead of plan, but it's too early to declare victory after one month. Um, if you look at the business units, um, I feel very good about our writing plan um, heading into this year. Uh, we have strong innovation. I, I mentioned the, uh, uh, the first of the eight Tier 1 and Tier 2 in, uh, innovations, the Sharpie Creative Markers that are launching this year, which uh, is a new category for Sharpie that, uh, that we, we have high hopes for. Um, I also have high hopes for, for Baby this year. I think we have a, uh, a bounce-back uh, plan uh, in place um, in that category, and I think that category uh, has normalized significantly last year. Uh, from the uh, Bye Bye Baby bankruptcy. Um, on the home and commercial business uh, we've done, uh, which would include kitchen, home fragrance, and commercial, uh, we've done a lot of work to reset the, uh, the margin structure in that business, particularly in kitchen. Uh, and you can see that coming through in the gross margin and operating margin results uh, in, the, in the back half of last year. Uh, and I think that uh, business, particularly the kitchen business, has some exciting innovation that's coming uh, this year. 
the commercial business is, is, a, is a more stable business uh, that we are going sort of from strength to strength. We expect that business to uh, uh, be more um, uh, flattish this year versus, versus last year. And then I mentioned the, the outdoor and rec business is probably the business that, that is going to be uh, the most challenged this year because of the, uh, the time it's going to take us to fully get the capability build in place and have that show through in terms of financial results. The other thing I would add, if I could, because we recognize the need to have better forecasting capabilities, is this is part of the capability set that we've you know, brought to bear. So, for example, the Salesforce is now using Anaplan um, in order to really discreetly have you know, sales walks that build up on discrete building blocks you know, quarter to quarter, um, brand by brand. We've taken the best-in-class practices from different business units and applied those broadly. So the capability set that we're putting in place leverages scale, but it also allows us to get much more granular on our build-ups. That is, that is super helpful. And how about RNG? Is there any um, indication of putting more money behind um, RNG this year uh, and getting, I understand, in kitchen, uh, as you mentioned, uh, more innovation, but across the board, um, given that, you know, you're coming off of a, uh, a moment where you were focusing on improving profitability, is there any yeah. um, indication of that? Yes, we, we, that, that is baked into our plan. So, so um, and perhaps I should have spent a little more time on that, but the, uh, the organization realignment that we announced in January, where we announced that we were uh, uh, changing the operating model uh, to better enable brand management, uh, U.S. selling, new business development, international, uh, et cetera, um, also, R&D is part of that effort. So, uh, as part of that realignment, we uh, we announced a net headcount reduction of seven percent. But if you look within that, we actually uh, reduced headcount by more than that, and invested back resources in areas where we needed to invest back from a capability standpoint. And one of those areas was R&D and is R&D. And so, within R&D. Uh, we are investing more uh, resources in terms of headcount. We are focusing that headcount on platform technologies that can span uh, across Newell. And these are things like um, uh, material technology that spans across multiple business units. Uh, we're not going to disclose all of them here because some of them are competitively sensitive, but we do have a plan to upgrade the um, uh, contribution and the investment in R&D specifically, um, and that is part and parcel to improving the innovation pipeline, and it's baked into our, our guidance and our operating model change that we announced earlier this month, or earlier this year. Very helpful, Chris. Thank you both. Our next question comes from Brian McNamara of Canaccord Genuity. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking our question. Uh, maybe one for Chris. We're about eight months into this new strategy, and these turnarounds typically take more time than investors want. Uh, I'm curious your view on the progress made so far relative to your initial expectations. What's been better than expected or easier, and what's been more challenging? Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Uh... Uh, Brian, uh, 
Brian. I, I think, um, you know, we're very excited about the progress made. Um, we've moved at incredibly rapid pace to do the capability assessment, to launch the strategy, to cascade the strategy. We've changed the operating model. We've upgraded talent. Uh, all of those things have gone, frankly, um, uh, uh, incredibly well and incredibly quick. Um, I think the piece that is still ahead of us uh, that, that, you know, I wake up every, every morning thinking about is how do we operationalize this and build it into the culture of the company? Um, because, uh, and that's the work uh, that I referenced when I talked about the, the, the top priority heading into 24 of operationalizing the new strategy and the operating model because I think we've we now have a, uh, an outstanding executive committee, which is my set of direct reports, um, uh, that is driving the change, driving uh, urgency uh, in implementing the strategy. Uh, what we need to do uh, now is embed that throughout the entire 25,000 people uh, that are working at Newell so that we are all operating uh, in a consistent direction and we make the culture change to a performance-oriented outcome-based um, uh, 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 organization structure. We're seeing good signs of that. I just want to see it more broadly across the company, and I think that's what we're trying to do as we head into this year. And just a quick follow-up. Are there any categories you're seeing uh, shelf space increase at retail? And if not, what are you guys bringing to the table today relative to the competitors you'll have to displace? Yeah, we are seeing shelf space uh, increases in a number of our businesses, and we, uh, you know, because the line reviews for 2024 have largely been completed, uh, we have pretty good visibility to that. So, as an example, um, you know, the, and I keep coming back to the Shark Be Creative Marker example, um, but the retailer uh, acceptance uh, behind that initiative has been very strong. Uh, we expect to gain incremental shelf space as a result of that initiative. Uh, we're also working with a number of retailers on uh, category reinvention uh, that we believe can trigger not only market growth, but market share growth uh, for Newell at the same time. Um, the new business development uh, uh, program uh, I mentioned is coming online, and we've got some good examples of gaining incremental distribution. You know, one that comes to mind, for example, is we have a terrific uh, product on Rubbermaid Brilliance, uh, which is a food storage product. Well, the new business development team went and sold that product into the container store, so we're now listed at the container store. We were not doing business with the container store previously. Uh, as an example, and I could go through, you know, 15 or 20 of those types of examples uh, where we're starting to get on the field with a broader set of retailers and gaining shelf space, uh, and, and we think that trend is going to accelerate as our new business development capability improves, as our category management capability improves, as our innovation pipeline uh, improves. Uh, and as our brand building capabilities um, uh, continue to accelerate. So that's the goal. Um, and I think uh, we'll talk more about those uh, examples as we go forward here. Thanks very much. I appreciate the detail.
Our last question today comes from Steve Powers of Deutsche Bank. Oh, hey, thanks. Good morning, everybody. Um, two questions. Uh, Mark, just w one for you just to clarify. You mentioned international um, the expectation international will be up this year. I guess I'm, was that just a core sales comment, or is it, um, you know, is there a prospect of U.S. dollar growth being being positive too, kind of offsetting FX number one? Um, and then, you know, Chris, maybe for you, just you know, you talked about the sequential improvements, um, you know, relative to the starting point in the first quarter through the year. I guess I'm, I'm you know, trying to figure out how steep that curve is and, and what you contemplate as an exit rate on the year, um, you know, at least at the high end of guidance, is there a prospect of you exiting, you know, in positive territory exiting the year, or are we more, um, you know, expecting declines all the way through the year, uh, you know, and therefore exiting at a lower rate as we go into 25? Thank you. So real quickly, as it relates to the international business for fiscal 24, um, yes, we expect core sales to be up mid single digits, um, and we would expect net sales to also uh, be up uh, when all is said and done. One quick thing uh, before Chris takes the back half of your question that I think is important, because we are as impatient for progress as the investment community is, but we really believe that meaningful progress was made during the course of 23. If you go back and look at our gross margin and our op margin in 22, they were both down 180 and 160 basis points respectively. During 23, our gross margin inflected in the third quarter, and during 23, our op margin inflected in the fourth quarter. And during 24, both gross margin and op margin are going to be up strong, um, despite the fact that there remains sales compression on the top lines. So we are, we are working through this process deliberately, as we indicated we would, with fiscal year 23 just being a year in which we had to put some basic fundamental stuff in place. We have now put those capabilities in place. We've upgraded the talent across the organization and changed the ways of working. And you're going to start seeing real signs of that because the growth rate, while still down in 24, is going to be appreciably better than it was in the prior period. And the financials are going to continue to improve structurally. And so by the time we get out to 25, um, we should be hitting on all cylinders. And we're actually quite excited about it. Yeah, I think uh, relative to the, to the guidance question, um, the base periods remain a little bit choppy because of retailer inventory, destocking timing, shipment timing, et cetera. And so uh, what I would say relative to the guidance is that uh, we expect core sales growth to be better uh, uh, after Q1 uh, in the balance of the year than we expect in Q1, as we've said. Uh, I think it's premature for us to talk about uh, guidance by quarter between Q2, Q3, and Q4 at this point. Um, and it will be a little bit choppy, but we, we certainly expect uh, Q1 to be the weakest quarter of the year from a core sales growth perspective, core sales to improve after Q1. Um, and, uh, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll stop there and we'll, we'll continue our normal guidance pace of uh, updating the quarterly guidance uh, at the beginning of the quarter. Um, but because our focus is really on uh, driving, as Mark said, the sequential improvement in core sales growth uh, from negative 12 and 23 to down three to six. And remember within that three to six, there's two points of stuff we've proactively uh, chosen to exit. And so if you were to exclude that, which we have not done from core, you know, we're really guiding uh, sort of down one to four on the areas that we're focused on for um, 
uh, for, for 24. And, uh, and I think that's what gets us excited uh, about uh, the trajectory as, as we move through the year and, um, and, head, uh, 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 and think about where we're going to be uh, over the course of the, uh, the year as we head into 25. So thanks, everybody, yeah, thank for joining. You and, uh, yep, and we'll, uh, we'll follow up uh, with anybody, uh, uh, as, as always, after the call. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. A replay of today's call will be available later today on the company's website at ir.newabrands.com. You may now disconnect. Have a great day.